Hey, uh, so a couple things, uh, just, just some honest moments. We're in church, all right? So let's have some honest moments of confession uh, real quick post-Thanksgiving. How many of you are still in a tryptophan-induced coma? You're still feeling the after effects? All right. How many of you have had pie for breakfast the last few days? That's amazing. That's so awesome about Thanksgiving. Love seeing everybody's pictures and hope you had a great uh, time as well with that. See, that's one of the things that I didn't really think through. Last week, I talked a little bit about how I was kind of grateful that I wasn't going to have to plan or host Thanksgiving this year. Uh, But then you wake up Friday morning and you realize you don't have any leftovers. And like that's kind of, that's a little bit problematic because that's one of the best things about, I think, celebrating, about having big parties like Thanksgiving or birthday, you know, you can have pie and cake for breakfast the next morning. When you're hosting all that stuff, that's one of the best things about that. If you don't, then you kind of miss out on all of those, all of those uh, little things. Of course, there are other residual benefits, I would say, to gathering together and celebrating in moments like that. Uh, when, when you do that, when you celebrate together, with you, when you gather with friends, family, whatever it is, birthday, you know, party at the office, uh, some other social gathering or event that you join with people, one of the other really cool benefits or residual effects from those moments is you get to see people out of their element. You get to experience moments with them that you wouldn't typically experience. I mean, think about like a work party, for example. Somebody says, hey, I'm having people over to my place from work, and you start to interact with people in a way that you've previously, maybe you've only seen them just sit in front of a computer with headphones on. Now you see them talking and interacting with people, and maybe, you know, you think, well, they're, they're actually are weird, and, and, you know, it kind of confirms some things that you already thought about that person. Or maybe you discover some really cool things about them that you would have never found out otherwise. So that's one of the cool things about celebrating with each other. It's not just about the big celebration and what happens there, but it's also about the impact that it leaves on us outside of that as well. I went to a really small college, and one of the benefits uh, to that, at least I, I thought, was I actually got to know some of the professors and even the president of the college really well. Uh, so well, in fact, that even outside of the classroom, he would invite me and some of our friends over to his house, and his wife would bake cookies. I mean, we went for cookies and milk at the college president's house, and it was amazing. And we had this kind of relationship. I've got this picture right there. That's me with uh, some of my friends, and that's me and Renee there in the middle. And she's, I just want to point out, if you can't tell, she's holding a rose that I picked for her and, and gave her which is just amazing, just shows the kind of guy I am. So we're there, and you might notice that we've got, way before our time, we've got those deep V-neck sweaters on. Well, so, like, he was cleaning out, our, the president of our college, this might seem a little weird, but it was funny to us at the time as college kids, he was cleaning out his attic, and he had a bunch of these old sweaters that he was giving away, and so we took them, and we, we like, wore them over to his house for cookies and milk, and we thought we were hilarious. Uh, but that was great. It was that kind of relationship that we had with them. It was one of the things that was cool for us in, in a couple different ways. We got to experience his life from a completely different perspective outside of the classroom or as an administrator for that college. But we also, particularly for Renee and myself, got to see an example from a man and a woman that we deeply respected and how we could live our lives and how we could share our lives with other people. Even though he and his wife are retired now, and even though we live states away at this point, 
I'm still feeling the effects, the residual effects of those interactions with him. I'm still able to respond in gratitude with how he lived his life in relation to me and how I share my life with other people. I can show gratitude for the impact that he has given to us, to others, which is really cool. And how we show our gratitude and how our lives are impacted and changed after we've celebrated is equal to if not even more significant than the celebration itself. And here's why. Here's why I say that. It's because it shows that the celebration actually impacted our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so when God says, for example, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, He says to the Israelite people, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He's letting them know that this practice of celebration that he has commanded them to take part in and invited them to be a part of is the beginning and not the end. Celebration is a beginning, not the end. It's a subtle shift in thinking. See, in the Old Testament, burnt offerings and sacrifices, that was, that was one of the big things the Israelites were supposed to do is a part of almost their daily lives and their culture, something God had called them to do in their worship. But it wasn't just for sacrifice sake. It was actually to teach and to mold and remind them of the hearts and minds that God wanted them to have, to cause them to worship God with their lives. But collectively, they missed it. And so do we if we think the culmination of celebrating and living lives of intentional worship can happen in just maybe an hour or two on a Sunday morning. See, living a life of intentional worship starts with celebration, but it continues with gratitude. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 this morning so we can see how this is supposed to take shape in our lives. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's traveling along the border between Samaria Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. At this point in history, leprosy referred to all kinds of different visible outward effects of the skin. And what happened, and this was according to the Old Testament law, is that when you had these conditions, you had to be separated, quarantined from the rest of the community. And so these lepers, as, as Jesus is going along, either this was a, a leper village that he was passing through, or these guys lived outside of the village, out of town, away from everyone else. And they see him coming through, and they yell at a distance, Hey, Jesus, uh, could we get a little help over here? These guys had to live lives in such a way that if other people who didn't have leprosy came near to them, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Like this was a, can you imagine, you know, if you had a pimple or something like that, you had to yell that as you went around through, in high school, you know, that's bad enough. You got some acne or something like that, but you got to go around yelling unclean when people come near you. That's kind of the way these guys were having to live at this point in their life. And so when Jesus comes along, 
they've heard about him. They've heard about his miraculous powers, that he can, uh, that can, he can heal people. And so they throw caution to the wind. They've been completely separated and ostracized from their community. They can't be around their family anymore. They're not able to trade with people the way that they had uh, in the past. They were separated, and so they are going to leave everything out on the table when it comes to Jesus. Nobody outside of Jesus' disciples calls him master, and yet these lepers do. Nobody, uh, nobody has treated Jesus with this kind of respect in the way that these guys do, and it's because they're throwing everything to the wind, caution to the wind, because they've lost everything up to this point, and they recognize that Jesus could save them. And so they call out to him, and they ask him to have mercy on them. They ask him to heal them. And Jesus always kind of gives a non-typical response, I think, which is one of the things I, I, I appreciate about him. He just simply says to these people, to these ten lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, the significance of this is that in order for lepers, when they were healed, if healing took place somehow naturally, they actually had to go to the priest at the temple, at the synagogue, and they had to be officially declared healed before they could re-enter into society. So when Jesus is saying this, he's, he's not just kind of blowing them off. He's, he's saying, hey, uh, by the time you get to the priest, everything's going to be taken care of. And so these ten lepers, they listen to Jesus. They have some faith here, right, to believe that what he says is going to happen. So they walk off and they head to the priest, and on the way, they're healed. I want you to just kind of consider and think, what are the things that are going through your mind at this moment? You've been completely cut off from everyone, your family, your friends, your work, your community. You, you haven't been able to live the way that anybody else has. You've been ostracized. I guarantee you've been made fun of at this point. And now all of that has changed. You can finally have your life back. What is the first thing that you do? What's the first thing? What's the, that's the, the choice that you make? Who do you go see first? Who do you go talk to? Well, these guys, at least nine of them, say, man, we are going straight to the priest. We're going to be declared healed, and we are getting back to our lives. Finally, we have had someone come along and heal us, and everything in our lives can go back to normal. It's amazing how much we want normalcy in our lives. And nine out of these ten lepers say, we're going to go, and this is fantastic. I'm sure they're grateful for what Jesus has done. Only one of them, however, decides to not care about the ritual cleansing at this moment. Only one of them decides, you know what, I'm going to put everything that I have been desperate for since I've had leprosy on hold. And he goes back to praise God and thanks Jesus. And Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. This is a really interesting, uh, this is a really interesting statement and one that Jesus actually uses uh, quite regularly. And it's always kind of strange because most of the time this statement comes along on the heels of a person already being healed. In fact, we know that these, all ten of these lepers, they were healed when they went back. They didn't have to come back and tell Jesus thank you. We know, like, I think if it was me... I think it was me, if I'm being honest, that as soon as the other one came back and said, thank you, I was like, where are the other guys? Like immediately their leprosy would come back, you know, in that little vindictive. I know that's terrible, but I'm thinking, can't even say thank you. Fine. All right. I mean, you know, kind of, oh man, we should have gone and said thank you. It's kind of one of those things, lessons you want to teach your kids and all that kind of stuff. Aren't you glad I'm not Jesus? Jesus. 
Me too. Only one of them, though, and a Samaritan at that, someone who's considered a half-breed by the Jews, who was not accepted as part of the community, Jewish community, his faith somehow had made him well. And, and this phrase actually, especially since we know all ten were healed and it wasn't, con, you know, the con, there wasn't conditional and Jesus isn't vindictive in this moment, um, it's, when it's translated, your faith has made you well, it's a more nuanced meaning than, um, and, and I would say probably a more appropriate tra- translation here and what this phrase means and what Jesus says is, your faith has saved you. And so there's this really interesting, significant thing that's happening with this one guy who comes back and praises God and thanks Jesus personally that doesn't happen with the other nine. There's this experience that the other nine, in the midst of them trying to get back to their old lives and getting to the people that they love and all the good things, I grant you, that they miss out on from Jesus because they don't come back and say thank you. The other nine were just doing what they were told, right, by Jesus and the law. They were doing the quote-unquote right thing, but the Samaritan recognized that something significant had happened in how his healing came about, that it was miraculous, and it came from a source that couldn't just impact his outward appearance. It would have to change his heart as well. He realized that an encounter with Jesus isn't meant to give us a normal life. It's meant to give us a redeemed one. It's a reoccurring theme in Luke's gospel, this warning that we can experience the goodness of God's grace, yet miss out on the point, kind of like the nine lepers missed out, and only one of them got it. This interaction with Jesus was worth putting everything else in life on hold, even being reunited with family and loved ones. This guy put it aside to go say thank you and give gratitude to God and to Jesus. Mark Moore, when he's describing this, um, this story and, and this interaction with Jesus and how this happens often, says, again, we see a distinction between ritual and relationship. It's possible to do all the right things and still miss Jesus. I'm not sure if you believe that or not. Right? I mean, that, that's, that, seems, that seems a little incongruous. What do you mean you can do all the right things and still miss Jesus? Well, here, here's the thing. Like When we talk about celebrating is one of the things that we do at Velocity, it, is, it extends so much more beyond just what we do on Sunday mornings. And we talked about that last week, how it's a hugely important part of our time and our life, and we need to prioritize it. That ritual and, reputa- and repetition are valuable, and they're vital parts of how we grow consistently and constantly in our faith. But the thing that makes our faith real and makes it evident in our life is how we live it out in relationship. Did you know, and I, maybe you already know this, and maybe this isn't a big, uh, like, mind-blowing moment to you, but did you know the word church is not in the Bible Is that a or a? Uh, did you know? No, I mean you can open up your Bible and say, "Now, Rob, the it's right there." Like C H U R. You know, you can you can spell it out and you can point it out to me. No, no, I I get it. But actually, the word church and where it's translated, where it's put in your Bible, that's really just kind of based on uh, a traditional Christian experience that over time. 
as we've translated the Bible into English, that we've recognized that having buildings as part of our corporate and congregational worship is a traditional part of, of who we are as Christians. And so we've taken that and we've said, hey, when, like for example, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to overcome it, that, that he's talking about this, this thing that we do right here in this building. But you know, he actually doesn't use the word church. The word that he actually uses is ecclesia, which means literally called out ones. And it's actually about an assembly of people. You know, so when we say things like, well, the church is not the building, it's the people, it's the congregation. Well, because it's, that's literally the case. It's about the relationships that we have with each other. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my assembly, I'm going to build my congregation, my called out ones, it's about the relationship that you and I connect and contribute to and enter into with each other. And it's all built on this truth of living lives of gratitude that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so when this former Samaritan leper praises God and throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him, he becomes this example of how we should be responding in our lives to our salvation. The other nine miss all this because they're more concerned with getting things back to normal. They've got their schedule. They've got things they need to get back to, their old relationships and back into the normal swing of things, which is normally how we feel after a big celebration. I mean, I think that's just, or, or like a, even a great vacation. Where like, one of the things we say is, I can't wait till I get back home into my own bed. Right? I mean, that, that's true. Even after a great vacation, we still do that. Or even after a great celebration, birthday party, or something like that. Okay, I, I, like that's, unsus- that's not sustainable for me to be happy, you know, for a birthday party and stuff like that. Eventually, I want to go home. I want things to kind of get back to even and even keel. And even after salvation from Jesus, we've got to resist the temptation to ease back into a comfortable, normal existence. Because there's nothing normal about living the Christian life. It's relatively normative in our culture and in this country, but talk about receiving the grace of God and the benefits of that and yet missing that, missing it. Even in the normal things that we do, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live such lives of gratitude that the effect of Jesus on our lives can't help but pour into the lives of our fellow Christians and beyond. And so I wanted to just read from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this description that Luke gives us of how the early church lived and operated in relationship and in gratitude for their salvation among each other. Here's what Luke says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is not a normal existence. Gathering together daily, being in relationship to the extent that they knew when somebody in the congregation was in need and they would help to meet that need, even if it meant selling off their own possessions, they would sacrifice their own stuff to meet that need. They shared meals together every day. 
They were devoted to prayer together and learning God's Word together and meeting together in gratitude and in honor of God. And it was this peculiar, particular way of interacting among and with each other and this conspicuously Jesus-focused intentionality that caused others to join them in salvation. And so when we talk, you know, about celebrating, connecting, and contributing, and talking about stuff that we do outside of just Sunday morning, like serving together, being a part of a gel group, being in community with each other throughout the week, being a church family and helping each other, it's because celebrating in community keeps us accountable to lives that are accelerating toward God, both for us and inside the church. I mean, it it brings us together and closer to God in a way that we just can't accomplish today as our worship is focused to Him. And you can find community in all kinds of places outside of the church. You can find it at CrossFit, you can find it at the local bar, you can find it volunteering, you know, backing some sort of cause, some whatever it might be, your family. But there's a greater community, a community that gets lost in the shuffle of that if we don't recognize that when we come together and assemble as the church and as we gather together regularly in our lives outside of just this moment that Jesus has established among us that brings us in a way that supersedes all the others. See, like one of the saddest things about this whole, uh, this whole situation with, with the ten lepers is, to me, is this. Nine of these guys were, were Jews and should have never really associated with this other Samaritan leper, and yet their common disease, their common heartache and trouble brought them together and, and brought them in community, and they helped serve each other, they helped keep each other alive, they lived with each other, they had relationships with each other, built friendships around us. And when nine of them head out and go back to their normal lives, and this one goes back to Jesus and head, heads back eventually after that to his life, that community that they had, that common bond that they shared was gone in their minds. But the reality is, the real issue, the real thing that bound them together in common still existed, and the Samaritan leper is the only one who discovered what that really is, and that's the significance of Jesus saying when he, come back and pray, when he comes back to him and praises and gives thanks to God, and he says, your faith has made you well, your faith has saved you, is that the real issue that we have and the thing that brings us together in community is that we all share, humanity does, shares a common disease, and it's sin, and we all need a common Savior. And that's the thing that unites us. And that's the thing that causes us to come together and need each other to help each other out because it's not a normal life and it's a tough life in following Jesus and we need that encouragement. We need to help each other out to move through this sinful and broken existence that we have together and to recognize and be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. That this was never about the miracle of being healed from leprosy, but it was all about the message of the gospel. That Jesus had come not just to heal disease, but to take care of the problem of our sin, and that living intentional lives of worship through celebration and gratitude will impact every single part of our everyday living. Ultimately, Jesus tells the Samaritan leper to rise and go. 
He essentially says, all right, now that you've experienced this, head home. And he doesn't say, oh, now you need to go be a foreign missionary, and now you need to go start this nationally recognized nonprofit to deal with the, you know, some massive attention-grabbing thing for Jesus to show how thankful he, he is. But the result that we see and the example we see from early Christians in the church and how it operated is that there's this expectation that this truth will take place in our lives and that we are called to live our lives with intentional gratitude toward Jesus. And when you and I do that, we know we're accomplishing it because of the relationships around us. When we're involved in and relying on our relationships with our fellow Christians and we're modeling it for those that aren't quite there yet. And so this week, I would just ask you to consider moving from just a celebratory experience of Jesus and what he's done and entering to gratitude as well and showing that to other people because that's Jesus message he says whatever you do for other people you're doing for me and so if you want to show thankfulness and you want to show gratitude and honor to Jesus for his salvation of the thing that brings us all all together share that with others maybe take some of the interactions that you had with people last week and and bring that into the next week Maybe it's uh, FaceTime with a family member who lives far away and you connected in a way that you hadn't before last week, or you know there's just a deeper relationship there that you can enter into. Maybe it's a coworker or somebody that you know that, hey, maybe some, somebody from church is like, hey, we need to grab lunch. We need to have coffee. This, this needs to go beyond just us saying hey and shaking hands on a Sunday morning. Because when we do that, we live the lives that God has called us to. We live the lives of gratitude that Jesus wants for us. And so I, I want to just say a prayer for us this morning that we could, even this week and for the rest of our lives, move from this, you know, living just a life of ritual to also living lives of relationship. God, I just want to lift up all of us and help us to, um, we ask that you help us to be mindful of how we're showing gratitude in our lives by how we're interacting with each other. And not just people here in the church, but people outside of these walls, our fellow Christians at work, or uh, you know, whoever, whoever they might be, the people that we run into, and, and see people in the vein of being able to show how we're grateful for what Jesus has done for us by how we interact with them. God, give us the wisdom through your Holy Spirit to see how we can um, show this honor and gratitude that we have for you by how we treat and interact with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every week at Velocity, we take communion with each other. It's one of the things that we do um, to continually be grateful and remind ourselves of why we're here, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They rose again so that we could be invited into that same resurrection, new creation life. And so we take a little bit of bread and we take a little bit of juice to commemorate Jesus' death on the cross for that. So right now, um, we're going to uh, take communion together, and I'll pray for that time as well. God, thank you for this moment that we have to join around this, this table for this common reason, this communal purple, purpose. We ask that um, as we take this, that you are um, remembered in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.